We're going to turn to our Bible reading now. So we're in, we're in Luke uh, chapter 10. We've uh, picked up our, our kind of long-term journey through uh, Luke's account of Jesus' life. Uh, we're in Luke chapter 10, and um, there's lots in this reading. There's lots to pull out from it. So as uh, Greg reads it, as you follow along in your Bibles, whether you've got your phone out, whether you've turned to page 1041, as you, as you hear it read, as you read it yourself, what, what is it that particularly uh, stands out to you? What is it that God strikes you with this evening? And Greg's going to come uh, and read for us now. Today's reading comes from Luke chapter 10, verses 1 to 24, and can be found on page 1041 of your Pew Bibles. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. He told them, The harvest is plentiful but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Go, I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. Do not take a purse or bag or sandals, and do not greet anyone on the road. When you enter a house, first say, peace to this house. If someone who promotes peace is there, your peace will rest on them. If not, It will return to you. Stay there, eating and drinking whatever they give you, for the worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house. When you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what is offered to you. Heal those who are ill and tell them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. But when you enter a town and are not welcomed, go into its streets and say, Even the dust of your town we wipe from our feet as a warning to you. Yet be sure of this, the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more bearable for Tyre and Sidon at the judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be lifted to the heavens? No, you will go down to Hades. Whoever listens to you, listens to me. Whoever rejects you, rejects me. But whoever rejects me, rejects him who sent me. The 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, Even the demons submit to us in your name. He replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven, and I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. At that time, Jesus, full of joy through the Holy Spirit, said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. 
All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows who the Son is except the Father. And no one knows who the Father is except the Son and those whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Then he turned to his disciples and said privately, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings wanted to see what you see, but did not see it, and to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. This is the word of the Lord. Good evening. Good evening. Thank you, Greg, very much. There is a lot in that reading, isn't there? And uh, I'm not going to have time to talk about every bit in detail. But if, you, if you've got questions, whether it's about snakes and scorpions or about... Bethsaida and Capernaum and all those other places. We can talk about some of those over a cup of tea after the service and that will be absolutely fine. But I'd like to ask you, first of all, to think back to a time when you got the job. I'm sure probably pretty much all of us here have had to apply for a job at some point in, in our lives, whether it's a, a Saturday job uh, when you're still at school or maybe it's a promotion uh, in the office or maybe it's just a, you know, the first time when you were told you were going to be let loose, you were going to be able to mend someone's car, uh, or stand in front of a group of children in a classroom, or help someone who is ill. How do you feel when you're told, you know, you've been through the application, you've, you've maybe had an interview, and you're told you've got the job? A bit excited? Really pleased? Maybe also a little bit nervous? When the, the, the reality settles in, I'm, I'm going to have to actually do this. And maybe, you know, I'm, am, I, am I really up to it? Can I carry it off? How do you think the disciples felt here in Luke chapter 10 as Jesus says to them, okay, I've got a job for you and this is what I want you to do. And he sent out these 72 disciples, um, two by two, uh, with these instructions to go and heal the sick and to proclaim that the kingdom of God is at hand. I wonder how they felt. And how do we feel when we read about what Jesus asked them to do um, are we thinking, well, what about us? Um, are they different kind of disciples to us? Or are we disciples like they are? I want to just begin by saying I think this is a passage which is for all of us as Christians. Um, what is a disciple? What does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus? It's one of those jargony words that we sometimes use, isn't it? Um, as many of you, I'm sure, know, it basically just means learner. Uh, a disciple is someone who learns from someone who teaches them. And so the disciples of Jesus are those who follow him and learn from him. Um, if you flick back, I hope you've still got Luke 10 open in front of you on whatever device or Bible you've got there. But if you look back at chapter 9, uh, at the beginning of that chapter, it's a very similar passage where Jesus sends out the 12 disciples, the famous ones that are listed in all the Gospels, to do almost exactly the same as what he says in the passage we've just heard here. Um, to go out and do those same things. Uh, who were the disciples? Well, of course, there are those ones who are listed and who are named. You know, people like Matthew, James and John and Peter and Andrew and, and uh, those 12. But Jesus had a lot of disciples because it was all the people who wanted to learn from him and follow him. And there are others who are named in the Gospels who weren't part of the 12. Um, a couple of weeks ago, if you were in our morning service, we were thinking about Martha and Mary and Lazarus, who were Jesus' friends but also became his disciples. And then there are lots of others who we don't even get to hear their names. And in the crowds that gathered round sometimes to listen to Jesus, you know, there were some who we, we know who were there. There were some who might have been kind of standing on the fringes and maybe they weren't really following Jesus, they just wanted to hear what was going on. But there were clearly quite a lot of others who were also 
taking him as their teacher and wanting to follow him as well. And then when we, you know, if we, if we get into the book of Acts, which is Luke part two, um, disciples, that, that word disciples is just used to refer to those who are following Jesus. Anyone who's come to believe in Jesus and they're given these tasks to be. So in short, granted that the situation here is a little bit different to ours, especially in that Jesus hasn't yet died or risen, um, we also read these verses as those who've been called by Jesus as his disciples. So they should be striking us and make us think, okay, what does this look like for us here in 21st century Thurmby? What does it mean to be a disciple according to Jesus here in the passage? Uh, Well, there are two things that stand out, aren't they? We'll come back to them. Um, Jesus says, go and heal the sick, heal those who are ill, in verse 9, verse 9, and proclaim that the kingdom of God has come near. And the way he summarises it is by saying that disciples are sent to bring in the harvest. If we could have a slide up, Graham, um, with that on. Disciples have been sent out into the fields to bring in the harvest. I wonder how you feel about giving that job, the work of being harvesters in God's harvest fields. Uh, we'll think a bit more about what that means, but this reading, as Tom said, is full of interesting and quite thought-provoking things. But really, it's all about what it means to be a disciple, someone who follows Jesus, who believes in him, and is sent out with a job to do. And he says to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. And he sends them out for the work of bringing in the harvest. And uh, I want to start off with four things here. Or finish off with as well. Four things that are involved in this work of bringing in the harvest. Uh, And they're things which help us to grasp what it is that Jesus wants from us. Again, we started the service, didn't we, by asking what is God's will for us this evening. And there are various answers we can give to that. But here's one of them. Uh, It's to bring in the harvest. And here are four things about it. So first of all, The harvest is God's work. That's where we need to start. And it should be a great encouragement to us. If if building God's church and uh, and going out and finding a harvest, bringing people in, changing people's lives was down to you or me, that would be a disaster. Not because he hasn't given us gifts and skills and things, but because we'd be doing God's job. Well, he does send us out to be involved in his work, but it is always his work, first and foremost. If you look at verses 1 to 3, several times we find words like appointed and sent and sending. In other words, who's giving the orders here? Jesus, isn't it? He's the one who's in charge. Whose harvest is it? It's the farmer's. And the farmer is God. I imagine you, you probably remember the parable that Jesus told about the farmer who went out scattering seeds. Uh, as God in his harvest field. That means, if we find living the Christian life hard, as we sometimes might, if we find that we seek to do the work of harvesting, maybe we want to tell people about Jesus, maybe we want to to try and live the lives that Jesus called us to live, and we we come up against rejection, or or, uh, against things which just don't seem to work very well, then we don't just have to think, oh no, what a failure. We turn to the God whose harvest it is. And Jesus says in verse 2, you need to pray. Ask the Lord of the harvest to send more workers into his harvest field. Are you good at praying that prayer? Um, Jesus doesn't actually give us the instruction with specific things to pray very often in the Gospels, but he tells us to pray that one. 
Lord, send more workers into your harvest fields. And many of us have seen, haven't we, that when we ask God things specifically, that he answers our prayers. And you may well be able to think of ones like that. Um, I've got three particular situations and people that I am praying for this Lent. Why am I doing that? I'm doing it every day. The same thing, repeatedly. Same situations, same people. Some uh, who, who I know well, others who are far away. Because God answers prayer. And Jesus says, pray here for the Lord of the harvest to send more workers into his harvest fields. And he does that because it's God's work that he calls us to. But the second thing is that it's shared work. Uh, and I was reminded of this again just last week. Isn't it interesting how Jesus sends out disciples together? In this case, two by two. Makes us think of Noah in the ark, doesn't it? But actually more than that, it's almost as if, as Christians, as disciples, we're supposed to work together with one another. Almost as if it's not a good thing to, you know, to, to set up the way we do church where there's one person who is, uh, who is the only leader, the only one who, who does things. No, again and again in the Bible, the Lord calls people to work together in teams. Jesus does it. He, he calls 12 and he sends them out. He, he gathers 72 he sends them out two by two. When you read the book of Acts about the early church, again and again you find groups of people working together to do God's work for the kingdom. We're called to work together. And that's why we're a church, not just a bunch of individuals. And so we're not on our own in God's harvesting work. It's God's work and it is shared work. And I'm really thankful for that, I can tell you, as the rector of a church. Thirdly, Difficult work. There is a challenge here. Verse 3, Jesus says, I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. There is only one outcome, isn't there, when you mix lambs with wolves. You might as well bring the mint sauce with you to start off with. It's only going one way. But it's not only the danger, potentially, of being a disciple in this passage, is it? It's also that it's going to take a lot of trust. What about that bit where Jesus says to them, you know, don't bother taking all the things that you might need with you but just learn to depend on the people who uh, you're going to bring the good news of the kingdom to. And eat and drink, he says, whatever they give you. you know, there's no form to fill in with your dietary preferences. Just eat whatever you're given, but that's not the point, is it? The point is that uh, as you do the work of the kingdom, you'll be provided for along the way. And I'm guessing that might have been particularly challenging in a, in a first century Jewish context, given all the dietary requirements that they would have had then. Um, but even more than this, then there's that whole section from verses 10 to 16, isn't there? Where Jesus gets quite blunt. Now he speaks of going into a town and finding a welcome, but also of entering a town and being rejected. Why does Jesus say this? I suppose basically because sometimes that's what happens, isn't it? Uh, and if you're told at the beginning, that this could be part of the job that you're being sent out to do, then you're much less likely to be discouraged if you come across that part that you've been warned about in the first place. And remember, it's exactly what happened to Jesus, isn't it? You know, he, he, he went and he met people and he helped people and he called people to follow him and to repent and to believe and people loved him. And some people hated him and they rejected him and of course in the end they killed him. So he's not asking disciples to do anything that didn't happen to him or that he wasn't prepared to do. Um, and in fact, more than that, if we're doing it right, 
if we are faithful in praying, uh, if we pray to, to, to God to send out more workers into his harvest field, and if we find ourselves to be some of those workers, then sometimes we should expect rejection to be a part of that experience. And that's hard, isn't it? Didn't come to church to hear that this evening, did you? And of course I'm not saying, and Jesus isn't saying, that we should go out of our way to be unpopular, that we should you know, just not care how we come across, that we should you know, look for people to reject us or anything like that. We certainly shouldn't be offensive. And whenever we find rejection, we, it's always worth asking the question, is it the gospel or is it me? Because sometimes it's me. But sometimes it won't be me. Sometimes it may just be that who we represent, um, the God who sent us, is not popular. And when that's the case, it doesn't mean that anything's gone wrong. It just means that just like Jesus found it, just like he said it would be to his disciples, sometimes it's hard. Um, church can be hard, can't it? Church planting can be hard. You know, church ministry can be hard. Um, seniors ministry, youth ministry, children's ministry, um, outreach ministry, whatever it might be, sometimes there are knots along the way. And why does Jesus say all those hard things in, in verses 10 to 16? And when I say hard, I don't mean hard to understand. I mean kind of hard to hear. There are some of the, they're the kinds of things that sometimes we read and think, oh, Jesus, you do have to say that. Um, they're not the kind of verses that we print out and put on our fridge, are they? You know, Woe to you, Chorazin and Bethsaida. You know, it would be worse for you than it was for Sodom. And what, why does Jesus say that? Well, because... Uh, he knows that this is a serious subject and there are serious consequences. The city of Sodom, if you remember the book of Genesis, was turned to, turned to dust because of the people's rejection of the Lord. And again, Jesus tells us all this so we're not discouraged when it happens. And he tells his disciple this because he doesn't want them to think that this, this doesn't matter. You know, that, that, that when people find themselves uh, in danger, in a storm, they need rescuing. And it's not a kind or loving thing to pretend that really it's not important. So it's difficult work. That's God's work, shared work, it's difficult work. Fourthly, it is peaceful work. In some ways that's a strange word to use. You'll see why I've used it in a minute. I, do, I don't mean by peaceful work, you know, that it's kind of relaxing um, work, that um, it's comfortable work, um, that it's like you know, spreading out your towel on the beach with a book and chilling out. But what I do mean is that it's work that's about bringing peace to the world. Bringing God's peace to the world. And when Jesus talks about peace, almost always, what he's talking about is peace between God and the people he loves. And the peace which has been lacking ever since the very first humans in the Bible decided they would rather not follow the, you know, the, the one instruction that God had given them. Peace to this house, Jesus says, disciples should say. It's, a, it's an offer of God's will. Of We're coming in the name of the king and he comes to offer you peace. He's got good things for you. Would you like to welcome him? And when someone welcomes Jesus' followers in, uh, this peace that the disciples bring will rest on them. Do you notice a little bit later on in the reading, Jesus says that when you are welcomed, I am welcomed. When they reject you, they reject me. Um, what does it mean for us to be bringers of peace? So this is really important. It's right at the heart of this passage. It's those two parts we started with. Um, heal and tell. 
Those are the two instructions Jesus gives them, aren't they? Heal and tell. The same two things the twelve were told in chapter 9. The same things that we see the apostles doing again and again through the book of Acts. Verse 9. Heal those who are there who are ill. And tell them the kingdom of God has come near to you. In other words, Jesus is talking about both actions and words. They're not in conflict with one another. Heal the sick. Proclaim the kingdom. Do them both. It's not an either or. And that's our calling as disciples. Um, sometimes Christians can get so carried away with one they forget the other, can't they? You know, so um, concerned, rightly concerned, to help those who are in need, um, to seek to bring healing to those who need healing, um, to help those who are marginalised and outcast, all the things that Jesus did. But just get a little bit kind of a little bit embarrassed about wanting to say to people, you need to know Jesus actually. That is the best thing that you could have in your life. Sometimes, as Christians, you know, we can be so concerned to say to people, you need to believe in Jesus, you need to repent, you need to be baptised, you, you need to follow him, that we don't even notice that these people have got huge needs that need meeting, practically and physically. And it's not an either-or. It never was for Jesus, was it? He is constantly healing people, helping people, caring for people, loving people. He is constantly saying to people, Turn away from what you're doing. Go and live a different sort of life. Repent uh, and find peace with God. Um, if we find ourselves uh, neglecting either of those, we're not getting it right. Heal the sick. Proclaim the kingdom. It's not an either or. Uh, we're not just here to, to hold nice services or indeed bad services. Um, we are not just here to hold Bible studies or social gatherings. If we're believers, if we're disciples, we are to be those who heal the sick, and who help those in need, and who go out into Jesus' harvest field, not only to do that, but to proclaim the kingdom and to call people to repentance. Whether that's on Sundays, or whether it's what we do on weekdays, whether it's through Alpha courses, or church plants, or whatever other practical things we may do. But to go back to the beginning, happily, it's not our work. We're just joining in with it. It's God's work. That's his call for his disciples. Um, it's why we need to be praying through everything we do, beginning, middle, and end. Um, it's why we're supposed to share the work together, as he's called us. Recognising that it's difficult sometimes, but that he's called us to this great privilege of bringing his peace to those he sends us to. And finally, and I hope by way of encouragement, I want to say there's a fifth thing here, and Tom alluded to it earlier on in the service. And it's this. The work of the harvest is joyful work. Now, did you notice that in those last few verses of the passage? I think it's verse 17 through to the end there. It's joyful work. The 72 disciples come back bouncing. They're actually buzzing, aren't they? They've had a tremendous time full of stories of what God has done. Wolves have not eaten them it turns out. They may have met some rejection, but they've also found a real welcome in some of the places they've been. They've spoken about Jesus, and healings have taken place. And they are absolutely thrilled by what God has done. They found that they could trust Jesus when they actually went out and, and followed his call to do what he'd asked them to do. Perhaps to their surprise. Brilliant. But it's not just the disciples. If you look at verse 21. Jesus is full of joy as well at this point. 
Um, and uh, we're told he's full of joy through the Holy Spirit. In fact, that, that whole little section there is very Trinitarian. It's a great point of how God, Father, Son, and Spirit always works together. He does want to refocus the disciples' joy a little bit, doesn't he? In verses 18 to 20. Now, don't get too excited by the dramatic stuff that you've done or you, you know, that, that I have done through you. Rejoice most of all that your names are written in heaven. It's a great reminder for them. But he is joyful too. And he says, verse 22, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for that is what you were pleased to do. So what is God's call on our life? What does it mean to follow Jesus? Well, this is at least part of it. Um, Jesus sends his, sent his disciples out into the harvest field heal and to proclaim. To heal the sick, to proclaim the kingdom, to show people God's love and to tell them about God's love. And that is what he's always done. And it's what he calls us to do as well. So let's finish by praying to him now as he continues to send us out. Let's just be quiet for a moment and I'm going to leave us in a prayer. And we praise you we praise you that you are the Lord of the harvest, Lord Jesus. And we thank you that we can actually look back um, through history and see how you have been continually at this work of, of bringing in your harvest, of bringing healing and hope and help to people. And you have built your church, and you have very often built it in places where there are conflicts and where there's suffering, and you have brought hope to people. And the good news has been passed on from one generation to the next. And somewhere along the line, there's a bunch of people who passed it on to us. And we thank you that as we look at those things, we're reminded that what you promised to your first disciples, you have continued to fulfill again and again and again. And so we thank you, Lord, that you have you've called us to be learners from you too to be those who follow you, and that you also send us out. And you appoint us to be a people who bring peace, and bring healing to those in need, bring the good news as we call people to turn to you. And Lord, we know that there are many things in this that we find hard, and that sometimes we're not very good at, but you are patient and forgiving, and you continue to, to work with us and through us. And so we just pray for your help. As a church, as we think of different things that, that we're involved in this year, pray for your help for each of us here, particularly anyone who perhaps feels a bit on the edge of this, not quite sure what, what your role is in it. Help us to have the courage to step out in faith like these disciples do, Lord. Help us to hear your voice speaking to us and to see what happens when we learn to trust you. Lord, we pray that you would fill us with that joy too that you shared with your first disciples. We ask all of these things in your name.